Welcome to Real Talk with Chuck and Pam. And you're going to hear at the beginning of this week's podcast something a little different. That's because you can now not only listen to Real Talk with Chuck and Pam's podcast, but you can watch it. Check it out on YouTube, follow Real Talk with Chuck and Pam, and stay tuned for a fun episode. Well, hello, everybody. It's 2023. Uh, and uh, Real Talk, Chuck, with Pam, Chuck and Pam. We're going to try something new. We're going to try and disprove that old maxim that you can't teach old dogs new tricks. We're going to try something new with our podcast. Uh, we're going to, this year, we're going to start off Zoom these. We're going to record them so that you can see our lovely faces. And we're going to have a guest critic in every week. And we are starting off with one of my favorite guys, Jeffrey York. He is a very good writer. And he's also a great <laughs> artist. Oh, I don't know how well you guys can see this, but this is a picture that he drew, a caricature he drew of Anya Taylor-Joy from Emma, one of my favorite films from a couple of years ago. Pam got this for me. Jeffrey, tell the folks at home where they can see your art and read your words. Well, thank you. Uh, my film criticism is at a blog called theestablishingshot.org. I'm also on Rotten Tomatoes, and you can read me at the Chicago Indie Critics uh, site as well. Um, and I have uh, also a, a, excuse me, a contributing essayist to pipelineartist.com, which is a magazine for uh, creativity online. I am going to be in there two times a month starting this month, and I've done that for three years now. And you can find my art at jeffyorkcaricatures.com. So I take commissions. I will draw you, your family, your friends, your boss, your favorite movie star, singer, even your dogs. I've done plenty of pets. <laughs> so would you draw me with my favorite movie star? I would. That's a great oh. idea. I I was uh, I've been trying to get you guys to hire me, but I'm going to do it for free. I think because I love you so. Uh, to maybe use me for promotional materials if I do a caricature of you and your lovely co-host together. Absolutely, All no right. doubt about yeah. doing that. Very good. And, and Jeffrey, half of my home and my husband's office is decorated with your amazing work. So thank well, you thank very you. much. Thank you. Thank you. Now, while, while Jeffrey's art is, you know, top notch, sometimes he gets these movie things, you know, he, he's a little <laughs> askew on those, but I'm sure that's going to come up over the course of time. <laughs> we'll, we'll see if that happens uh, during this episode. We're going to we're going to try and cover three films. Uh, we're going to take a look at Matilda, The Whale, and The Pale Blue Eye. Is there any of those three guests, Mr. York, that you would want to start with? Well, I think we can go on the order you said. Uh, Matilda, the musical, I think is a fun place to start. Uh, it's one of those movies that, for me, kind of snuck up like, oh, that was released? Oh, I didn't realize that. And I turned it on and watched it. And it's so charming, but you're not hearing very much about it, it seems, except maybe for TikTok, where everybody seems to be imitating uh, the the one dance Um uh, about the revolting children and sort of doing their own versions of that. But uh, this this gives musicals a good name, but I think the way they marketed it maybe gives musicals, uh, at least the marketing musicals, a bad name because I don't think it's getting nearly the, the buzz and the sort of play it should, but maybe I'm alone in that opinion no, amongst you three. No, I, I think that you, you, you raise a certain point that Pam and I have talked about before as far as this month is concerned. Mm -hmm. There's just so much. Right. You know, the, the studios wait until the end of the year with so much of their products so that we can remember them for awards times, uh, best of lists. And Matilda did kind of get lost in the shuffle for me as well. I caught up to it 
uh, maybe a week after it was released. I think uh, Netflix started streaming it on Christmas Day. Uh, Pam knows how much I love musicals. Um, so uh, I guess she's not. <laughs> Isn't it more that you love to hear me sing? No, Ooh, no. Let's, no. let's do those some words. No. Those words never came out of my mouth. <laughs> I'll do Ed with you, Pam. Uh, no, okay. You know, there, there's a mute button here, right? Uh oh, <laughs> no. you can cut. Cut that new guy off. Cut him off. Yeah, cut him off. <laughs> but you know what? I, I was blown away by this film. Uh, I, I 15 minutes in, I was completely charmed. And that young girl, my God, her name's Alicia Ward. What a dynamo. What a dynamo. She completely won me over. She broke my heart. She just had me in her corner. What a talent. I cannot wait to see what this girl does next. The entire thing truly was just so much fun. And I am so glad, Chuck, that you took a chance on a musical and actually enjoyed it. Um, everyone is having fun with their over-the-top characters. And you're right, though, Alicia Weir, she just really stands out and knocks everything out of the park. Um, Emma Thompson, of course, oh. she's a joy in everything <clears throat> that she does. But man, is she having a lot of fun with this. It's, I always, you know, I always wanted to play the Wicked Witch in The Wizard of Oz. No comments from either I, one of you yeah. right now. Okay. However, yeah, I said no comments. However, that's because playing the bad guy is always so much more fun. And Emma Thompson plays Agatha Trunchbull. She is the headmaster or headmistress at this horrible school for children. And she just has a blast with it. And all these through themes, I don't know, Jeffrey, did you read any of Raoul Dell's um, books when you were younger or maybe even as an adult? And did you read this one? I did, yeah. In fact, um, you know, he's a very dark storyteller. He uh, and knows, and he knows inherently that children can handle that because I think, you know, all that myth about like, oh, kids don't want to be frightened and and Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. No, no, all that. The Wicked Witch of the West. They love it. I mean, being scared is a primal thing, and I think kids respond when they're just sort of discovering things like movies and primal emotions and and all that kind of stuff. So laughter, uh, joy even terror, I think, uh, are, are palpable emotions for them to feel and to play upon. And he was smart enough to know how to do that here in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And the great thing about this movie is despite its exuberance and energy and and gusto, it doesn't lose that darkness. Uh, Trunchbull is a scary figure. Um, I mean, Emma Thompson's virtually unrecognizable. She's got about, you know, she looks like she's packed with a refrigerator almost sort of as a, <laughs> like, you know, sort of like Mussolini. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's got some dark humor. The the parents, the Wormwoods aren't good people either. So, um, but, but it all works and it's all fun. And I hope kids as well as parents and, and adults discover it. Very good. Yeah, and I think it's necessary that, that it be that dark for us to have that emotional catharsis at the end. I mean, you feel so horrible for this girl and you want her to succeed. And once she finally does, uh, it, it's just you know, such a wonderful moment. There's a great song here called When I Grow Up, mm -hmm. uh, in which various kids are singing about the things that they will do that they can't do now. And it's just, I was watching this thing and it was just heartbreaking to me the the innocence the naivete about it and how wonderful that is mm -hmm. and how you need to enjoy it while you can even though you don't realize it because it's going to be crushed you know, soon <laughs> enough. man talk about terrorizing children thanks a lot chuck hey it's life <laughs> it's life terrorizing me <laughs> but you, you know, know what 
Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say one of the things I really love about this musical too is um, a lot of times you get people who or directors who don't have control of the material, so you get sort of a broad performance from one person and a subtler performance from another. Now, grant you, the children here to some degree are more subtle than obviously Trunchbull, who's sort of caricatured. However, the energy of the dancing, the cinematography, mm -hmm. the editing, the movement—it it all has this same zest. And I mean, I have to give uh, special props to Ellen Kane who did the choreography. Um, without getting too fancy schmancy and sort of the Broadway, oh, I've taken ballet for five years kind of stuff. She has the kids do what they can do, but they come raring out to go, you know, moving like this and it's kind of herky jerky and stuff, but it's, it's energetic. It fits. The kids are all doing it well. They're all of one piece. And um, it, it's just, it just grabs you and you, you sort of feel taken away by this because it's a whole world that they've created and everybody's on that same page. And speaking of the same page, one of the aspects that I truly enjoyed because it's creativity was just off the charts was when uh, Matilda was telling her story, her made up story, fictional. So she thought to Miss Honey. And I was uh, on the edge of my seat as I was listening to the story <laughs> and the story was coming to life on the screen. And then she'd stop. She's like, I don't know what comes next. I haven't figured that out yet. I'm like, oh. I need to know what happens next. So there are two stories within this one mm -hmm. and they did such a beautiful job of melding them together and making it come full circle at the end. I did not read the book, so I don't know if this aspect was in the book or not, but I so enjoyed that. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because so much of this is about storytelling and the importance of storytelling and the importance of reading. Yeah, she talks about how, you know, reading is her refuge. That's where she escapes. And I remember doing that myself as a child. And I, I my fear is that so many kids of, you know, this younger generation haven't discovered that and, and will go without that and not understand or, or or be able to discover, you know, just how you take yourself away in, the, in a good book. And, and that was another aspect of this film I really loved. So, well, and, and yeah. maybe, just maybe, when kids watch this on Netflix, because I think it's going to pick up steam, it did get buried during December. Um, maybe they'll realize Raul Dahl is a, a, an author and he's got a lot of other books out there. So maybe they'll pick up another book. And there's a uh, Willy Wonka prequel coming out this summer uh, with Timothy right. Chalamet as uh, Willy Wonka. We figure out how he became who he is. I don't think that's based on a Roald Dahl book, but obviously the character. Good point. Sounds well. good. Yeah. So Emma Thompson was in a huge, massive makeup makeover, which was incredible. So I think we <laughs> should move on then to The Whale with Brandon <laughs> Fraser. <laughs> what a segue. Nice segue. Did you work on that? Really, yeah. Really good. Yeah, this is why I get the big gut, big bucks gang. <laughs> the big guy. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, Freudian a movie slip there, which, you know, he, Mr. Fraser is barely recognizable. I have some definite opinions on this, but I'm going to let one of you guys uh, start off on this one. You know, I want to hear what Jeffrey has to say about this one. <clears throat> well, I will tell you this. I'm very mixed on it. Um, while I think that uh, Brendan Fraser is terrific, and I think he uses his voice and his eyes and his facial features to great use here. Uh, you know, I think he, you find that sensitive character, that character who would be inspiring to students as he's doing Zoom classes online, but he's not seen to them because he's embarrassed to show how big he is and is, uh, has a lot of shame in his life. I found that he and maybe uh, 
you know, his housekeeper um, uh, were sort of on a different, it seemed to be in a different movie in some respects than the rest of the sort of cast and sort of the, the filmmakers, because they were very sensitive, I think, to the sensitivity of this storytelling and the fact that um, this is a very sad character, tragic figure. And yet I found that the other characters were really sort of contrived and didn't seem very real. I felt they were the theatrical conceits, particularly the, uh, uh, the missionary who comes by. I mean, my God, it's like you have to change that from theater to the screen. It does not work to have those kind of every, everybody comes in entrance and and starts, you know, at, at an 11 and going on and on. And it just became kind of shrill and fakey. But the other thing I'll say, too, and this is funny because I generally like Darren Aronofsky as a filmmaker, but I would almost like to go and see it a second time just to count how many times we cut to the Brendan Fraser, Brendan Fraser character, uh, Charlie eating, sweating, looking grotesque. I mean, for this movie that is asking us to look past this and see this sensitive soul who's trying to connect with people and ask all these other people who are really can't get past his sins and, and, and the grotesqueries of him, boy, the film and the, the director and the cinematography, they just over overemphasize that at every possible moment. I mean, I, don't, I would not have shown him struggling for a minute to get down the hallway. I can assume that's going to happen. I think they missed opportunities to show him enjoying art, enjoying music, uh, uh, you know, citing poetry, something else that showed who this wonderful character is, rather than always, oh, uh, now he's depressed, so he's shoving pizza in his face. I know that is part of the character, that is part of the story, but there was a lot of emphasis on that, and I thought it was belying the sensitivity that I thought... Um, you know, that uh, that uh, Hong Chao and, and Frazier were bringing to the, the roles that they were playing versus the other characters who are sort of antagonists. I felt the filmmaker was almost antagonistic to the character of Charlie. That's that's an interesting thought. I I was grossed out by the eating, of course. I think anyone eating near <laughs> yeah. me grosses me out anyway. Um, I've got a few drinking issues. Water, drinking water, drinking uh, water. <laughs> oh my God, you're not going to slurp, are you? All right. No, I'll no, I'm mine. a very quiet uh, swallower. <laughs> um, uh -oh. But I, I feel like it wasn't just for our, and I'm going to use air quotes around this, entertainment <clears throat> and understanding of this character, but I think it was more for, for him, he was disgusted with himself. And the more disgusted he got, the more he sank into that hole. And there was no getting out of that hole for him. Yeah. So to me that was that was the emphasis and the reason for the emphasis but it's interesting what you what you said about that um but i 100 percent, and I, I have ever since we saw the the movie uh vengeance chuck i have a really hard time saying 100 percent um if you haven't <laughs> seen vengeance see vengeance very good movie 100 it's gonna be good anyway um <laughs> um they all the other characters with the exception of hung chow's liz take it to level 11, like you said, and then they continue on up yeah. the entire time. There is no nuance with it yes. whatsoever. Um, the Thomas character, the the uh, Mormon that comes in to try and save him or whatever religion he was. Um, and then the young girl, um, Sadie Sink, who played Ellie, his daughter, that was a one note performance too. And totally. that really bothered me because I thought, that's where the emotion comes that that relationship that connection that anger the the love the sadness the loss the the longing i mean there was so much that should have and could have been there and it wasn't because she was just too busy being mad all the time yeah so yeah I, I don't want to be the, 
I don't want to be a dead horse, but I agree with both of you completely. That was my take on this as well. And, you know, I, I went back and this was based on a play by a guy by the name of Samuel Hunter, uh, based on his own experiences at various parts of his life. You know, and this play has won awards and been lauded and praised. And I kept thinking, what am I missing here? Because, yeah, it did seem so contrived at times. It did. It, it just it it, it didn't. It didn't smack of the realism that was matched by what I thought Frazier was doing. And it really undercuts him and does him an injustice. Uh, it's funny you say that, Jeffrey, about showing him at his worst. I think that's a really fine line mm -hmm. uh, when, when you're handling material like mm -hmm. this. I mean, I think you've got to show it to a certain extent so that we can understand others' reaction to them. But then I also know that, you know, there's been some backlash to this film as well pertaining to that very point you bring up, that it is objectifying, that it is, you know, um, exploiting people like this. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't know if that's true or not. I guess maybe it's a personal thing, but uh, it's interesting that you brought that up. Well, I'll tell you, it, 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 I think it's worthy because I think it is sensitive as an area anyhow. It's, it's one thing for Mickey Rourke's wrestler in the movie The Wrestler that Darren Aronofsky did to, to choose to do the steroids and the drugs and, and these things that he is choosing for his life. And grant you, uh, Charlie is choosing the food and these things too. But, you know, for example, early in the film, when we're first introduced to him, we see Charlie furiously masturbating to porn on the internet. And it's so volatile. And I thought that's a choice that Aronofsky could have directed to pull back a little bit. We're already going to see this character who's, you know, 355 pounds or whatever he is and, and huge and, and, and many, many problems sweating profusely just from wheezing and breathing and all that. And then we have to do that too. It's like, how much indignation do we have to apply to one character? And the funny thing is in Black Swan, another Aronofsky movie, similar to The Wrestler, is I think that the director looked beyond their flaws and their labels to find the humanity in them, even though they're certainly kind of out there, maybe a little crazy or physically pushing themselves in the wrong ways that are damaging. Um, but here, I just thought, whenever he gets the gleam of in, in Frazier's eye or Charlie is talking and, you know, he's reading something good, I get it. There's the person you look beyond that, but they keep coming back to, Oh, now he can't get up. Now he's doing this. And it just, it was, I felt it, I guess it was an imbalance. I mean, I know you're going to see that and you're going to see it anyhow, but from looking at him, but because you can see it just sitting him sitting there, I don't know if they had to go out of their way to show that, he can't pick up a picture that he dropped. We've all known heavy people. We've all known low people. I think we can assume that without having to spend half a minute belaboring that and sort of giving him even more, uh, you know, sort of insult to injury. You know, hearing you talk like this, I want to go back now and watch his other movies. Oh, <laughs> there you go. I think they're better movies. <laughs> yeah, uh... <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, that one was, oh, yeah. And I even love Noah. Yeah. Oh, wow. There you go. That's, I and mean, that's a rare one that, uh, you know, he kind of got lambasted for that one, but, but like in the wrestler, for example, I mean, this is a pathetic character that Randy, the Ram Robinson uh, is. And yet, oh my God, the pathos for him and you're yeah. crying. And when he's going to the strippers like that, isn't good. Who feels that? But this guy, he's like, he's looking for friendship for some kind of connection anywhere. And he's not even interested in her uh, in the Marissa Tomei character taking her clothes off he's interested in just connecting with somebody yeah. same with uh with charlie here and to your point about uh sync i mean she's very hard to connect to for us and we don't oh. see any nuance in her eyes that would seem to make her worthy of charlie's uh work and affection to, to get through to her 
kind of a disappointment to me. I was really looking forward to it and especially <laughs> with all the buzz. I mean, seriously, I was. I love Brendan Fraser and I was glad to see that he had a a, a new role that um, everyone was talking about. And then when I came out of it, I, I was very disappointed. So didn't make my top 10 list. <laughs> well, and I wonder if the quality of the film is going to hurt his chances at winning the Oscar. Uh, obviously, he's going to be nominated. I mean, I, I think you can take that to the bank. But right. I wish that if the film had been stronger, I think you could, you know, you know, it, it'd be a sure thing. But uh, I, I just wonder how that's going to affect things overall. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Time will tell. That's a good question, because I think a lot of times you want to like um, the film and sort of award the film as well with it, which mm -hmm. maybe that helps Colin Farrell a little bit, because I think the, the Banshees movie has a little bit more of uh, appeal to people, not just for that performance, but for the other things in, in the film in general. Oh, Pam. I know. People with, people with taste. We win two to three, like two to three. Two to three. Yeah, you, oh, you guys are ganging up on the girl. That's the uh -oh, way it uh -oh. always is. Pam's going to come to regret that uh, guest guest star bit. With the <laughs> two to three odds against her. It's all well, right. I'm, I'm sure the tables are going to turn on all of us at some point. <laughs> I'll be waiting. <laughs> so, um, Another movie that came out on, uh, I believe it was Christmas Day as well, or at the end yep. uh, of the year was the, oh no, it came out on Netflix on January 6th and was in theaters the week before, oh, The Pale right, Blue right. Eye, yeah. uh, with Christian Bale uh, as a detective in the 1830s who is called to the West Point Academy to investigate a very, very gruesome murder. And uh, wouldn't you know it, uh, one of the cadets there happens to be a young would-be writer by the name of Edgar Allan Poe, who he, I wouldn't say, well, he takes under his wing, but also wants him to help him find clues as to who committed this murder uh, by interviewing other cadets and ingratiating himself there. And this is directed by Scott Cooper, who um, Bale has worked with a couple times before, uh, most notably, I think, in uh, Out of the Furnace, uh, a great little domestic drama that I really loved from a few years back. Uh, what'd you guys think of this one? Jeffrey, you want to take it? Sure. Um, he also did Hostels with him, which was, I think, another one of those underrated movies that unfortunately snuck in, I think, in December uh, a few years back and got a little bit forgotten as well. The timing of these things is really funny. Yeah. It's like, open it in September when nothing is opening, and then people will see it, talk about it, and get its due. Um, I liked it. I did not love it, but I liked it. It was um, different uh, and not quite what I expected, but I, I did enjoy it. I think it's an interesting mystery. I think it's interesting characters. Uh, I particularly love the fact that they're doing something with Edgar Allan Poe, and Lee's basing this, even though it's a fictionalized story, on his true history. He did go to West Point. He did mm -hmm. not like it there. He was at, at odds with them in, in sort of a, a maverick uh, in ways that clearly the military was not going to exactly embrace. Um, and I found it uh, quite an intriguing story. I will say two things as I watched it, though. Uh, one is I thought they could have trimmed about 20, maybe 30 minutes out of it. It just dragged on. Wow. It, it, okay. it lacked a little bit of clip and pace. But at the same time, the atmosphere, the moodiness, uh, certainly the production design was rather exquisite for it. The other thing, too, and I was thinking of you when I was watching this, uh, uh, Chuck, because I know that uh, you didn't like the Batman because you got ahead of the story. I figured out the story in the first half hour. And <laughs> oh, I was waiting wow. a long time. Really? Oh, wow. wow. Well, That's impressive. And I'm not saying I'm like you know Columbo or any kind of uh, Ellery Queen as it were but uh, but that's okay because I always tell people if they get ahead of the movie and they figure it out early then the fun of the movie comes just like watching Columbo seeing how it's 
found out, like seeing what the filmmakers do to help uh, thread the needle for you or how other characters around there do. Um, and uh, it, 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 do you want me to share it or I don't want to spoil it because the listeners may not have watched this yet, but if you want, no, I can no, tell you. I'll hold a couple cards. Okay. Uh, close All right, to I will. There. I will. I'll tell you in private. Okay. All right. All right. You know, I'm on the same page with both of you. Shocking. Um, and <laughs> and uh, no, I, I, I thought it was too long as well. I really enjoyed it with the exception of it being a little bit too long. And I did not get ahead of it. I did not see that second twist coming. I thought the movie was ending when it should have ended mm -hmm. about a half an hour before the actual end yes. and then and I think I think this screen even went black for a second like oh okay that's cool and then and then we come back yeah. and we get more information and that's when the the real mystery is revealed as to what happened and I thought that was poetic and gorgeously done with the trauma and the tragedy that was actually occurring okay. um and it it explained to me um, uh, Christian Bale's character of Augustus Landor really explained his demeanor and his entire approach to life. Mm -hmm. um, and I did go back and I watched the first half hour, 45 minutes again, just to kind of solidify those thoughts and those feelings. Yeah. And, and I love Christian Bale. I think he can do almost no wrong. And in this movie, he, he gave me what I needed in a character like this. He wasn't Sherlock Holmes. He was a little condescending and pompous, like like you would expect a Sherlock Holmes kind of character to be, but he had so much more humanity mm -hmm. um, and just just beautiful, beautiful chemistry with uh, Harry Melling, who plays at uh, Edgar Allan Poe. Um, together, the two of them in that father-son type of relationship that breaks apart for different reasons mm -hmm. and again, another tragic moment in a relationship. This This entire film is about to me, relationships and loss. Mm -hmm. um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it with the exception of, I agree, another 20, 30 minutes cut down. Mm -hmm. we, we slog a little bit in the middle. I, I didn't have a problem with the length. Um, no? I thought it was fine, but I, and I really love the ending. Really love the ending. Uh, and then I had to think back, okay, do all the pieces actually fit? Did mm -hmm. it really, and, and it does. Uh, I used to teach Poe. And I just loved the references throughout. Yeah. And they're not really overt, but they're there. Uh, you know, he creates the mystery story, the detective story. So obviously they, the, the implications that this would maybe be the impetus. Mm -hmm. uh, his detective that he creates is C. August Dupin. And of course, Bale's name is Augustus. Uh, <laughs> all these all these tragic right. heroines that are in his poems and stories are based on the it could be based on the character played by Lucy Boynton. So I loved all these little Poe uh, allusions oh, that they have throughout. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And boy, atmospheric, really atmospheric. You know, this has been going around for like 40, 50 years, but Sylvester Stallone claims to uh, have a script. No, Jeffrey, no. I don't think he's the right guy for that material, but I'll tell you no. why in a second. Go ahead, continue. No, but but with this kid, this kid in a, in a in a biopic you know maybe maybe based on stallone's mm -hmm. script i mean this guy could play poe the rest of his life i thought he was great oh he's a dead ringer for him yeah, yeah. well yeah. and i think he captures the um 
both the romanticism and the tragedy. Uh, yeah. It might be a little bit too soon. I, I'm a pole aficionado as well, Chuck. In fact, he's my favorite writer. Um, I, I don't know if he was quite that tragic at that early age, but we'll give him a little bit of license because it is a fictionalized uh, version of this. But I agree with you. I think that um, he was very good and he's the most interesting character in it because you can't get real handle on him right away. And you wonder why the hell is he at West Point when he seems to be such an upstart. Um, and we find out uh, all those reasons why. Um, the one thing that I think is interesting too, Chuck, that you've brought up, and I love the fact that you're a, a Poe teacher as well as I'm always shocked how little of Poe has made it onto the screen. And I'm not sure about Stallone's version of it. I've heard some good things about it, but then I've also heard him say like, you know, he was, yeah, he worked out a lot. He was actually in very good shape. No, he wasn't. He was, <laughs> he, he worried the weight off. That's what his story was. I mean, uh, uh, but I mean, it's a fascinating life that we've not really seen uh, put on screen very much. And usually if it is, it's like this one or the movie, The Raven with John yeah. Cusack, where they're fictionalized versions of them, where right. they're asking Poe to do things that he didn't do. Right. Uh, when all the things that he did do, he was an editor, he was a puzzle maker, he was almost like the Riddler and stuff. I mean, he was constantly creating puzzles for, uh, and, and that's where he made his money from, for newspapers and editing other books. He got into fights with famous poets. Uh, he presented his poetry. In fact, the way he made money off of the Raven poem was not through its uh, reproduction. There were no reproduction rights on stories then. He made it from reading it reading. in yeah. theaters to people and stuff like that. So there's so much of his life that has not been explained exploited or or for that matter even told at all and this is the this was a nice reminder of like he had a fascinating even childhood so you think maybe his life's just too tragic it is no one wants to cover it maybe i think that's exactly why and i I think that everybody goes, oh, he's a downer and he died mysteriously and he's a drunk and all these things. But at the same time, he always was trying to save his wife from dying from tuberculosis. He did not, which is ironic because his greatest success when he finally had money to get her doctors was that period of his life when he wrote The Telltale Heart, The Bit in the Pendulum, uh, which were basically putting him in the role of his main character in these stories as sort of the victim of circumstance uh, and, and sort of these humongous odds against him, like this disease was against his family. Um, but he wasn't able to save her because people died from uh, consumption back in those days, yeah. as they called it. So there's a lot of, I think, of interesting stuff to his life, but it is a sad story. But I also think that sad stories should be told as well. And for studios that don't want to tell because it's a sad story, they're missing out on the real history of one of the greatest writers. You know, Jeffrey, I know that you do a lot of screenwriting. Have you thought about writing something about him? You know, I don't know something. I don't know. I can't believe you asked that. Um, actually, <laughs> actually, uh, I am writing a screenplay about Edgar Allan Poe. I wasn't going to say it because I thought it sounds so self-serving. But that it's, is, it is. But it's about, <laughs> I love it's, it. it's actually about that very time period when oh. he was finally reaching some success as a writer because so much of his life was struggling to that and he was making money as an editor and you know sort of the toast of the town and yet his wife was dying and it was all trying to help her and yet it wasn't enough so i think it's kind of a tragic love story and um i'll just uh, tell you i think the the ending of that movie if i give it away to you somebody i hope doesn't steal it and write it before i do but i think i've already copyrighted it so anyway um <laughs> it ends with him reading um 
uh, you know, Annabelle Lee, which he wrote mm -hmm. after his wife died. And that's about her. It's not about the girl here in this one, right. although maybe may think so. Maybe Lenore is influenced by, by uh, Leah here, but um, uh, Annabelle Lee is about his wife. And mm -hmm. that became a successful poem too, that he made money reading as well. So I think to have him sort of read that as a tribute to her, even though he couldn't save her, but she lives on through his work and he lives on with her through his work would be kind of a slightly bittersweet, uh, upbeat ending. You know, I, I think once you get, script, <laughs> I, I think once you get your script done, you need to get it to Darren Aronofsky to, to go with his <laughs> self-destructive characters that he See? seems to there you go. Well, he's really concentrate got, on. He's already got Melanie who could play the role. Ha you know, we're, you're halfway done with this project. You know, it sounds know. like it. <laughs> yeah. so, so do you subscribe at all to the notion that he was a carrier of tuberculosis? Uh, you know, I don't know. That's a good question. It's a really good question. Um, cause I've read what... that theory because, right. you know, his adopted mother, right. uh, his own mother, uh, a woman that he also fell in love with. And of right. course is what they all died of tuberculosis, but he never got it. And there's this notion or theory that perhaps he was in fact a carrier. Right. It's hard to say. I mean, so many people died of consumption then for all kinds of reasons. And I, I mean, I think it, it could be possible with him. Uh, of course, you know, the relationship he had with his wife, I think, was always more uh, sort of like the one they portray here in The Pale Blue Eye, where it's a little bit more uh, affection and worshipful uh, rather right. than necessarily being traditional male, female. So right. there's always questions, too, about whether he actually even had a sexual relationship with right. his wife. Uh, and and that he may have been a uh, closeted homosexual, whether or not that's true doesn't matter. But uh, I think his relationships with many people, including his own wife, were very different and unique as is kind of this uh, sort of Holmes Watson version that they've got going here, which is more like father son. Right. Well, Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining us to talk about three films. And we really enjoy your input, your insight, and your intuition with everything. Um, <laughs> remind our listeners again where they can read and where they can purchase some wonderful character artwork and anything else you want to share. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you. Um, I can be read. My reviews are up at theestablishingshot.org. Uh, that's my movie blog. I also occasionally do television reviews there. Um, in fact, I want to write about slow horses. If you haven't seen that, that's my recommendation. Another thing that sort of fell through the cracks in December. Yeah. Um, I also can be read on Rotten Tomatoes, and you can find my caricature work at jeffyorcaricatures.com. Again, available for all kinds of commissions. So let me know. Awesome. Thank you, Jeffrey. Chuck, thank good you. to see you. You too. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. Thank you. It was a delight. I love following you guys. I love your show. And I'm honored to be a guest, let alone the first one. Take that, the rest of you members of the CIC. <laughs> <laughs> and as, as a parting gift, you see this little Real Talk with Chuck and Pam mug, you will be getting your own vessel for liquids of your choice. I love with that. With Real and, Talk with Chuck and Pam. So I will send that your way. <laughs> and next year, Pam, you're going to turn the mug around and there's going to be a caricature of you and Chuck. Oh, I like that idea. Yes. Oh, I really do like that idea. There you go. All for you. All for you. Awesome. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Chuck. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Real Talk with Chuck and Pam. Bye.